Would you please stand with us if you're able and let us celebrate the blood of Jesus that saves us from our sins. God's love and hot coffee. <laughs> I'm also part of the praise team 
and the biblical counseling and a go-partner for Shane and Tanya now, along with my husband. If you're visiting today, um, please stop by the welcome desk and pick up a small gift and information about the church. We'd love to learn more about you and have you learn more about us. Welcome to the service, and don't forget to use your check-in card or the Church Center app uh, to check in. It's really quick and easy. You can also submit prayer requests through either one of those. Again, welcome to the service. I echo that. We are really glad that each and every one of you are here with us to celebrate our Lord and Savior and make much of Him this morning. And so I hope that you're here with your hearts ready to celebrate who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Um, we just want to let you know that there's an, a neat ministry opportunity coming up starting soon, and by soon I mean this week, and that is our women's Bible study. That starts this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And just a tremendous opportunity to get plugged in and to uh, fellowship with other believers and to study God's word together. Um, I would just encourage you to think, uh, as, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter, that we as believers are to long for the word of God like a newborn longs for milk. And so I just want you to ask yourself and evaluate life, is, is that the longing that you have? Because if it is, it can be satisfied in being a part of this Bible study. So we'd encourage you to join in and, uh, and, and just, I promise and guarantee that you will reap the benefits of being a part of that. And it, I know there's a, everyone's got different life schedules going on and busyness and things. So there are th actually three options for joining this Bible study. There's a uh, Tuesday evening there's a Wednesday morning, and there's even an online option. So uh, surely one of those will fit your schedule if you're able to make it, and I hope so. And uh, we just encourage you to, to reap the blessings of studying God's Word with other ladies. Uh, before we continue singing, would you please just bow your heads with me and join me in prayer? Lord, we, we want to come before you this morning with uh, a celebration in our hearts uh, for who you are and what you have done but I recognize that everyone here in this room has got different things going on in their lives. Some people are going through some intense suffering right now. And some people are um, struggling with uh, sin uh, that seems to have a grip on in their lives that they can't seem to have victory over. And there's just so many different things that are gnawing for our attention um, and things that can lead us to be discouraged. Things to think that we are um, not worthy to be here things that make us feel ashamed. Um, and Father, I just pray that you would help us to overcome the feelings of shame by reflecting on the gospel truth that we don't get to worship you because we are worthy. We get to worship you because Jesus is worthy and because of what he's done for us. But I also pray that you'd help us to overcome any distractions in our mind so that we don't just stand here and sing from rote memory, or that we don't just go through the motions, but that we actually mean it in our hearts, the things that we're saying and that we're singing. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that our, our worship doesn't have to be perfect. Even if we thought it was, it's only made perfect by Jesus and what he did on the cross. But that our, our, we don't have to be perfect, but we just have to be submissive to you. That we have to come before your throne with fear and trembling because a contrite heart is what you look for and what you what you accept. And so, Father, may our hearts just be overflowing with thanksgiving, even if our, we don't feel like it. Just knowing that it's Jesus that makes our worship acceptable and knowing that we 
believe what we're singing and what we're saying, even if our feelings don't match up. And so, Father, please help us to be intentional in worshiping you because you are worthy. Help us to make much of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, we have a really good passage that is the um, that we're about to sing a song that expresses the truth of this passage. In Isaiah 40, you really have the beginning of what is a court trial that the prophet Isaiah holds a session in court. And the, the, the two parties opposing each other is, who is the real God? Is it Yahweh or is it all these false idols that people worship in the community? So he goes on to show and demonstrate why Yahweh, why God is the only one and true God and all the false gods are nothing. So he says in Isaiah chapter 40, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like dust. That is the one true God. And that is who we get to worship this morning. So we'd encourage you, if you're able, would you please stand as we behold our God together? in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice Oh 
Amen. It's so great to be singing here together. I was just thinking, it's just going to be so amazing, all singing up in heaven together um, with our Lord in front of us. And that's going to be a wonderful day. And that song just reminded me of that. So, so wonderful. Um, I'll announce uh, children ages three to kindergarten can head up to Children's Church. Uh, we have wonderful servants there ready to teach your children the gospel in an age-appropriate way. So please use that, and you can follow the way out south direction. But also today, we have the fun opportunity to welcome two new members to Newcastle. Many of you know Sarah and Maddie Galbraith. Um, ladies, you can go ahead and come on up here. Josh has a, a card to, to give you. But uh, we're, it's always a joy to bring new members here into the church the commitment to the local church is so very God-glorifying. Uh, so thank you, ladies, for demonstrating that here this morning. Uh, not only does it um, help you to grow into Christ-likeness, but it also helps others uh, in the church So as we mutually encourage one another. So we're thankful for that because we know that the local church is how God uses and the mechanism God uses to help grow us. So let's hear, um, we'll pray here. And at the end of the service, Sarah and Maddie will be at the back to, to greet you all. And it's a great opportunity to thank them for that. So let's pray here. Father, thank you so much for your church and your good gifts. Most importantly, we're so thankful for your son that you sent to die on the cross for our sins, that we may rejoice with you in heaven uh, unhindered. We're thankful for your church that we have, that we can join and be a part of, and that we can be encouraged. Please encourage each and every one of us here. There are some here today suffering. Uh, there are some that are rejoicing. There are some that are doing both. And we're so thankful that we can, through all things, rejoice. And we're blessed through that, Lord. So those that are suffering, if it's through health concerns, uh, maybe a loved one has passed. There are so many uh, situations that can come on, but we know that we can cry out to you, and you are our refuge. You're our portion, and you hear us, Lord. Even though we're brought low, um, please deliver us, um, those that are too strong for us, but we know that they are not too strong for you. We're thankful for um, Amanda King and her service in Ecuador. Please be with the meeting this afternoon with her church in Via Cambamba, as well as Cameron and Roe Dobbins um, with their new church plant. We're so thankful for the opportunity that they have to grow that church in the ministries. Um, please help the legal manners uh, with the merger of the church to work through. And also we're so thankful for the rooted ministry at Ice Camp. Please bless our young folks there that uh, what they have learned that they will apply to their heart and they will grow in Christ-likeness and glorify you in the coming weeks from what they have learned from your word. And of course, be with um, Sarah and Maddie here as, as they grow. We're so thankful for their heart to um, join our church. Please encourage them and let those here in this congregation here this morning be an encouragement to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, would you please stand with us while we sing about the grace and peace we have with God through Christ. Grace and 
that our judgment is death for all eternity without hope without rest oh what an amazing mystery what an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me Morning, church. Morning. We're glad you're here today, and how true that is. What, what amazing love has come to us. So that is our hope and prayer that all of us will see the amazing love that Jesus has for us today. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be finishing up today this section on spiritual warfare, verses 18 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, 
If you'd want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 20 one last time, so that'll get the context for us. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We've got plenty available. Our ushers will be glad to give you one, and you're free to keep that or return it at the end of the service. So Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. So don't know how your week has been. For some of you, maybe challenging. Some of you, difficult. Others, not so bad. But whatever the case is, we're always thankful to be able to go to the Lord, to access His strength and help for wherever it is we are. And I'm thankful for these reminders over the past few weeks, especially from Ephesians 6 here about how the Lord has gone before us to provide us everything that we need. So Ephesians chapter 6, if you're there in your Bibles, if you're able to stand, please stand with us and we'll begin reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, acknowledging our weakness and dependence upon you. We acknowledge that apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. We cannot win in this spiritual fight on our own strength. So, Lord, bring us to the end of our own resources. Make us to see that apart from you, we can do nothing. Let us cling to you today. Let us hold on to you. I pray that we can be thankful for the means of prayer by which we can access your strength and your help. So I pray today that for all of us, we would come away seeing the need for a greater and closer relationship with you, not motivated by guilt, but motivated by a desire to draw closer to you and to have greater access to your strength and power. Thank you again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in high school, a couple of buddies of mine had a brilliant idea in our high school days. We were going to take a ski trip. Uh, I had never been skiing before, but I had watched it on TV, and it looked very, very easy. I mean, how hard can it be to put some skis on and go down a hill? I mean, anybody could do that. So we load up, uh, head to Wisconsin to the ski resort. We get our two-day pass and all the gear, the skis, the, the boots, um, the poles, all that thing. And I look like a professional skier. I was going to go out there and kill it on those slopes. So we get on the ski lift and um, head up, and you know, one of, one of our buddies who really had the idea, he was actually a pretty good skier, uh, really good, actually. Uh, the other friend of mine, um, he was kind of in the same category as mine, don't know if he had ever skied before either, 
So at least I had somebody who could relate to me. Uh, so I was, you know, doing pretty good to get to the top of this thing. And my first thought that things may not go as well as I planned happened right as we stepped off of the ski lift. Uh, my skis got tangled up in his skis, and we both crashed to the ground uh, amidst the laughter and glee of people watching this. And I began to think to myself, if I can't make it off the ski lift without falling, how am I going to make it down the mountain without falling? But anyway, so he proceeds to uh, lead us to the slope, and um, I happened to look over to the sign and notice that it had a black diamond. And I didn't know, again, didn't know anything about skiing at this time, other than you go down a hill on, on skis. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe that's, uh, you know, this slope. This is the black diamond slope. I don't know what the rest are. I don't know. It's how you know where you're at. My second thought that this might not go too well is when I got to the edge of this thing. And I looked at that, and I was like, wow, that is one steep hill. <laughs> and I don't know how to stop. But, you know... I wasn't about at that moment to uh, admit any weakness to my friends, especially not in high school. Like, guys, can we start with, I don't know, the beginner slope or like a lesson or something? No, I mean, you kind of just, what, dive in and figure it out. So my plan was to simply pick a spot where there wasn't any people below me and head down there. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. So push down and, you know, as you're crouched down and you're going along and, and you really realize... Uh, I just don't know how to stop on this thing. I mean, you're just going straight down. I was not a Christian at that time, but let me tell you, I became a praying man that day. (laughs) Over those next two days, the longest days of my life, I prayed that the Lord would spare my life and I would commit commit it to following him if I lived. Because basically the gist of it was headed down and you'd get going fast enough where you just couldn't stay balanced anymore and you'd just fly and it looked like a yard sale after that, picking up pieces over here and over there. And uh, that was the only thing that made it for me for those two days was the time that it took to pick up all my stuff and, and continue down where the next fall would be. Because I know had I made it to the bottom, uh, I never would have been able to stop and I would have ended up in the ski lodge. So my point is, while I looked the part of a skier, while I had all the equipment a skier needed, I had a problem, a really big problem. I didn't know how to use all those pieces. And sometimes I believe that it's true with the spiritual armor as well. When we get here in Ephesians chapter 6, especially in the end, it's, it's not that we don't know what that armor is. It's not that we don't know this is the armor of Jesus and that we're putting on his armor. But it's like we're the skier, not really sure how all these things work together. And even though we have all the pieces, we don't, and we have all the potential to be excellent, that's not the practice. We look like myself on that ski slope, floundering around, falling down, losing all of our pieces, and, and looking like a fool in front of everybody. So it's our hope today that we can understand how to put on the armor of Jesus. That's what Paul has been talking about. He, he doesn't say that God just provides the potential of the armor that God potentially wants to help us in battle, but that God actually will help us. So we can look the part of a well-dressed soldier, but if the armor isn't under our control, it doesn't do us much good, does it? So the section today helps us to understand our role in putting on the armor. The main point hasn't changed as we've been looking at these past couple weeks. We can only stand against evil by God's strength. That's been our main point we've continued. I'm going to add just a little bit more to that today. 
to make it this, we can only stand against evil by God's strength, which is accessed through prayer, which is accessed through prayer. So prayer is going to be the means by which we access God's armor and strength. So last week, we really looked at uh, Christ's role in all of this. This week, we want to look at our role in all of this. What exactly is involved in my part? How do I put on the armor of Christ? So to answer this question, let's see first how verses 18 to 20 are connected with what Paul has previously said, starting in verse 10. And you notice in your Bible, uh, verse 18 begins with a prayer. So Paul says, praying at all times. So the other pieces of the armor have really been um, connected to a particular piece of the armor. So example, truth was connected to the belt. Righteousness was connected to the breastplate. But if you notice here in verse 18, prayer is not connected to any piece of armor, any spiritual weapon. So why would that be? Well, it's because we cannot compare prayer to anything. So prayer, um, it's not another piece of the armor but it's what enables us to access God's power and help. And there is no comparison to prayer. Prayer helps us to understand, prayer helps to explain how we can stand. Now, if you notice in your Bible, if you're using the ESV, it's got a comma at the end of verse 17, right after God there. That's correct because it really connects what Paul has just said um, from 10 to 17 with verse 18. It's not a period at the end of verse uh, 17. It's a comma. It's connecting those things. So prayer is how we take up the armor. Prayer is how we can stand. And so how do we stand against the forces of darkness? Through prayer. How do we advance the gospel to an enslaved world? By prayer. Now, I'm not sure that we understand the intensity of the battle that we are facing. I'm not sure that we fully understand who it is we are up against. Our job is not to win intellectual arguments. Our job is not to impress people with fancy shows, with entertainment or rhetorical abilities. Our job is to preach Christ crucified to people so that they come to faith in Christ. We cannot make people to come, come to Christ on their own. We can't do it. We can't give them new hearts. We can't save them, but God can. So God's power is needed. God's power is needed to overcome Satan and his strategies. So therefore, we must use prayer to access the weapons that God has given us. So at the top of the list, out of everything, we're seeing prayer as critical. And I believe that verses 18 to 20 have a lot of similarities with the book of Joshua. So if you remember in the book of Joshua, Moses has died just before entering the promised land. He leaves Joshua with the responsibility of taking people in. God promised Joshua that he would go before him. And we see Jesus going before his people as well to accomplish their salvation and victory on the cross. Joshua set out to invade and conquer the promised land, and likewise, Paul set out to establish local churches, to launch a campaign to invade the entire world with the gospel. Joshua was involved in a physical battle to conquer the land under the direction of the angel of the Lord, chapter 5, 13 to 15 in Joshua, and he had an untrained army of men with weapons. Those in the promised land feared the news of the Israelites who came in the power of God. But on the other hand, Paul took his orders from the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. He set out to conquer the world, not with instruments of death, but with the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of the Spirit, which is made effective through prayer. What's that all got to do with us? Well, Jesus has conquered the world. 
we have been entrusted with the task of announcing the good news of his conquest to the world, which involves fighting the forces of darkness with spiritual weapons. And prayerlessness really is the effort to carry out that task by our own power and strength. Just as Israel lost their initial fight against AI because they tried to do it their way without God's direction, so we too will not succeed if we try to do things our way. So prayer allows us to access all of the resources that God has given to his people. In verse 18 here, we have our first point. We must pray at all times in the Spirit. So Paul says that, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now it's true that God could enable us to be successful, to stand victoriously uh, apart from prayer. God could immediately destroy Satan, shut him down, limit him without any effort from us. God is not limited by what we do in any way. He's not dependent upon us in any way. But we are told that we must pray at all times in the Spirit. Why? Because prayer is the means by which God primarily works. It's the means by which God primarily works. So it's through Paul's letters to the Ephesians that God grants them his powers and and courage. Apart from, from Paul's prayers, would God have granted them his power and courage? Well, God is God. God can do what he will do, and and he will accomplish his purposes. But it was through the means of prayer that God brings that to the Ephesians. So even though prayer is the means by by which we lay hold of God's power and help, we often neglect it. We often neglect it. Prayerlessness, while being a sin, really is regarded as a respectable sin. Well, yeah, I know I, I need to pray more. I know the Bible tells me that I should pray at all times, but, but I don't do that. But, but you know what? Everybody does that. Everybody struggles with that. So that's okay. It, it's something everybody does. Even in the life of the church, praying tends to be one of the least important tasks. Churches can develop impressive strategies. They can have great programs. They can become well-known in their communities in all kinds of ways while neglecting prayers. There's a lot to commend in the book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, but I found it interesting that a mark of the healthy church that was not listed was prayer. Now, I believe that they would have said, well, of course, prayer is included in that, but it wasn't specifically identified as one of those marks. So would you say uh, that there's truth for the most part in that we're better serving than earnestly pleading to God, that we're better at complaining than praising that we're better at planning than petitioning, that we're better at researching a Bible study or lesson than requesting that God use that lesson and enable us to speak freely, boldly, and clearly. I don't want to motivate anybody by guilt today. I don't think that that's a good motivation. And often teaching on prayer can do this. It can lead to uncomfortable feelings as many of us recognize that we just simply don't pray enough or pray like we should. But I also don't want to minimize the text. I don't want to lose the weight of it. I don't want to soften it to make prayerlessness seem like a respectable sin. So we always must seek balance in our Christian walk. We want to avoid a fatalistic view of things that says, why bother to pray if God is sovereign anyway? I mean, if God's going to do what he's going to do, why do I even have to pray? We don't want that approach. But neither do we want the view that the more I pray, the more intense I pray, then the more it guarantees that God was going, is going to bless me, as if it were a formula. If I put in A, B, and C, then God will do X, Y, and Z. So we don't want either one of those two ditches. Biblically, we want to see that 
prayer is the means by which God ordains uh, to carry out his purposes. So prayer is what God uses to accomplish his purposes. So Paul begins verse 18 then with this call to pray at all times in the spirit. Now earlier in Ephesians, as we've said, Paul has prayed for them twice. In chapter one, he prays that they will understand and know the riches and power of God, uh, power that's in Christ that God has for them. In chapter three, Paul has prayed that they will be strengthened with power. And so again, prayer is the means by which God, which Paul is calling on God to empower his people to the work he has for them. So why are we to pray at all times? Well, we're, we're to pray at all times because of the intense spiritual battle that we're in and because we're not sufficient to do this on our own. Just think of drinking water or breathing, for example. We weren't equipped with bodies that could just drink one time during the day or just breathe one time during the day. It, we, we require constant drinking and constant breathing. In the same way, the spiritual battle that we're in doesn't end. It requires a constant need for prayer. So what does it mean to pray at all times? Well, Paul doesn't have in mind that in every single thing that you're doing, that you're closing your eyes, that you're folding your hands, and that you're bowing, uh, in fact, that would be a little bit dangerous. So hopefully none of you, when you leave the parking lot after this, um, say, oh, we were told to pray at all times today, so I'm going to close my eyes and Jesus take the wheel. It's not that kind of approach that we're talking about here. No, prayer is saying that, uh, Paul is saying that prayer um, shouldn't be reserved for special occasions. It's a constant mindset, a constant activity. So you don't have to close your eyes for prayer to count. You don't have to kneel down every time. Now, we don't want to lose our reverence for God in prayer, but at the same time, we don't want prayer to turn into a ritual that has no meaning. We want to have a constant mindset of prayer. Why? Because we don't know when spiritual attack will come, and we don't know when there will be other people who will benefit from our prayers. So for praying at all times, we can be prepared for spiritual attack, and we can be a benefit to other people. Prayer is also not an activity reserved for the professionals. I once volunteered in a place where they would always run to me when somebody needed prayed for. Josh, Josh, come on, we need you. You need to pray with this person right now. Josh, come on, we need to pray with you. And I always had to keep telling them, your prayers have just as much access to God as mine do. You can pray with them just as much as I can. So praying is not something that we want to say, oh, only the pastors can do that. Only the spiritually elite can do that. This is something for all of us. So Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. He says praying in the Spirit. Now, this is not a mystical sense in the sense of you're getting caught up in some kind of vision, some kind of trance, some kind of -of out-of-body experience right here so that you lose control over yourself. That's not what he's talking about. Because earlier in Ephesians, Paul has discussed being controlled by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And that's what he means here. So to pray in the Spirit is not a mystical, magical kind of a prayer. It means that our prayers are guided, directed, energized by the Holy Spirit. So the Ephesians were in a culture that was filled with magical chants, magical formulas. And Paul challenges the notion that prayer is simply saying certain phrases or words and expecting God to respond. Many people today fall into this same trap, I believe. They pray the same way every time. It could even be the Lord's Prayer. And the problem with all that is prayer has turned into a meaningless ritual. It doesn't mean anything, just words. Our prayers are not 
supposed to be an attempt to get from God what we want. Prayers in the flesh are just that. They're selfish, they're self-centered, what we think we need, and how we can convince God to give us those things. But praying on the Spirit means that our prayers are an overflow of the Spirit at work within us, the Spirit working in our lives um, to develop and cultivate those right kind of requests. So this is not a foxhole prayer that we're praying here, like I prayed on the ski slope. A foxhole prayer is one in which we don't have a relationship with God. It's just calling out to God, hoping He'll pull off one of His special tricks for us. That's not what we're talking about. No, we as Christians have a relationship with God through the Spirit. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 2.18. But if we're being honest, there are plenty of times in which we struggle in our prayer life. We don't have that energy. We don't know that our prayers are doing anything. We just maybe don't even know the words to say. And I'm, and I'm encouraged by God's Word. Romans 8, 26 to 27, for example, reminds us, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So thanks be to God that even though our prayers are weak, feeble, and often we don't know what to say, that all this time the Spirit is interceding for us. So prayer is not like baking a cake. It's not like fixing a car. I'm not going to tell you 10 steps to take today to have an effective prayer life. It's not like that. No, prayer is the outflowing of a personal relationship with God. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the prayer. Second, we must pray with all prayer and supplication. Again, in verse 18, Paul adds, with all prayer and supplication. Now, this seems a little strange because Paul started verse 18 by saying praying, and now he adds again, praying with all prayer and supplication. So why is he using all those different terms? There are some slight differences. Prayer is, is typically used in the general sense of petitioning God or interceding on the behalf of others. Supplications, that generally refers to asking God to fulfill specific requests. So as we pray, we are to make requests. But Paul's not trying to draw a hard distinction between those two terms. He's just emphasizing the importance of praying at all times. So what Paul means by praying at all times with prayer and supplication is that we entreat or ask God to work in a variety of ways. Uh, if you're like me, much of maybe our prayer or, or maybe even some of the prayers that we're familiar with kind of goes like this. Uh, Lord, please help my sister's cousin's um, friend, boyfriend, daughter who lives in Alaska to work through that issue. What? Or maybe it's, um, Lord, help me uh, not to get a speeding ticket on the way to work today. God, just anything but a speeding ticket. Or maybe, um, maybe it's all about just please help me in this trouble that I'm in. Please get me out of this. Now, I don't want to give the idea that it's wrong to pray for God to help us in those areas. I, I don't want to say at all that it's wrong to ask God to heal us. It's not, and you should ask God for that. But I'm wondering if perhaps our prayers are just sort of the same thing at the same level. God, just please do this for me. Are you ever wondering if there's more of a depth to prayer that God would want to see? Well, I believe that there is. 
So we can see that throughout some of the biblical prayers. One place in particular would be 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. We see a richness in Paul's prayer there that can help us understand how we can pray with all prayer and supplication. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 to 12, Paul says this, To this end, we always pray for you. Okay, so this is Paul's prayer. Listen to what he prays for. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So from that section, as well as from some other text, we can understand how we can pray uh, with all prayer and supplication. I'm going to give some examples of that. So in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul prays that God would make the Thessalonians worthy of his calling. So we should pray that God will make other people worthy of his calling. Pray that people will grow up into spiritual maturity. Pray that they will live in light of God's salvation. Far better that God count our children worthy than they would grow up to be successful business people or successful athletes. So pray that God will make people worthy and understand the calling to which he has called them to. Also in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, notice that, God, that, that Paul prays that God will fulfill every resolve for good in their life. So we should pray that God will fulfill every desire for godliness and actions that have been prompted by God's work in the lives of other people. What do I mean by that? So in other words, as God works in the life of a person, they will have new plans, new goals, new dreams. Instead of focusing on themselves, they wonder, how can I witness to my neighbor? How can I start a Bible study with that person? It's those kind of desires, it's those kind of requests that we want to pray for. Third, pray that Jesus will be glorified in the lives of others. Glorified in the lives of others. The whole goal, the main goal of everything we do is that Jesus will be glorified. So don't pray that people will be glorified. Pray that Jesus will be glorified through them. Hard times are often a way in which Jesus displays his glory in greater ways. While we should pray for the pain and the suffering and the struggles to, to be resolved and to perhaps end, we also want to pray that through them, in that pain, Christ will be glorified. Fourth, pray that God will give others the knowledge of his will. Pray that God will give other people the knowledge of his will. In Colossians 1.9, we see that. So this is not the kind of knowledge that God will show them what kind of car to buy or what kind of house to live in or where to go to school. No, this is that God will sanctify them. God will help them understand what it means to please him and how they can carry that out. So pray that God gives other people the knowledge of his will. Fifth, pray that other people know the love and the power of Christ. You've seen that prayer already in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. So what comforts and sustains us in life? What gives us hope amidst life's challenges? What drives away our shame? God's love. It takes the power of God to help us understand and comprehend the depth of God's love. Every person you know and could pray for could always use that prayer to comprehend the incomprehensible, God's love and power toward them. But it's not wrong to pray for yourself. Not wrong at all. In fact, we should, as we'll see later on. 
Pray that God will help you apply the gospel to your life, that God will give you eyes of understanding into all the spiritual blessings that he has poured out on you. And then pray for those in authority. Pray for people in authority. So 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So those are just a few ways that we can pray with all prayer and supplication. Do you see how much broader, how much deeper, how much richer it is that our prayers can be when we look at, what the, look at ways that the Bible teaches us how to pray? So I don't believe that, that our prayers are ever too big for God. No, I think we often limit them by our little faith. We don't really think that God can do them. Instead of praying with all prayer and supplication, we pray with small prayer and supplication. Third, we must pray with all perseverance and alertness. Again, in verse 18, Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So all alertness and perseverance. So Paul explains the attitude of our prayers. Now, some of you have fine china. You keep it in a, in a special cabinet and you uh, only pull it out on special occasions. You wouldn't pull it out if I came to your house. But if somebody really important came to your house, you might take it out. But for most of the time, you would use, you know, your common, ordinary, average plates. And if you're a little rough with them, if you uh, beat them up a little bit, who cares? If you drop one, no problem, throw it away. I wonder if we view prayer like that. Not as the fine china, not as, not as a, a, an amazing opportunity, but just as a common, ordinary task that we do. It's something we, we check off the box to say we get it done. But that's not the way that Paul views prayer. Paul is viewing prayer as this extraordinary opportunity to speak to the God of the universe. What other religion, what other philosophy can say that the God of the universe hears them? that there is a way by which they can request help from the God of the universe. This is an amazing opportunity to call on him. So the attitude of prayer matters a great deal. So Paul speaks of alertness. He says, be alert. So he's referring to a watchfulness. Now Jesus, uh, a number of times, tells his followers to, to, to watch out, to stay on guard, to keep alert. So in Mark 13, verses 35 to 36, Jesus says to them, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So Jesus there is not talking about physically waking, he's talking about a spiritual awakening. In Colossians 4.2, Paul connects prayer with watchfulness. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If I were to ask you, what's the most well-known failure to stay awake and alert during prayer, you would rightfully point to the example of the disciples. There in that last hour of, of, of Jesus, he is agonizing to the point of shedding blood, and he simply makes this request of his disciples, pray with me. And so he comes to them, uh, verse 40, and finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So by not praying, the disciples have opened themselves up to temptation. And you know what happens. 
When temptation hits because they were not awake, because they were not prepared, they flee. They seek to protect their lives. And so for us, the same is true. There's many difficulties, temptations, opportunities for trouble in our lives. If we're not having a deep dependence on God, if we're not watchful, we will be open to falling into those temptations. So this alertness, this watchfulness also includes the idea that Jesus could return at any time. So I guess that what I'm saying is Paul is talking about more than, hey, when you're praying in the morning, don't fall asleep. I mean, that is a good thing, right? And if you do, okay, just, just go on. It's, it'll be okay. God will forgive you. Paul is talking about more than that. He's talking about this attitude, this spiritual slumber. Uh, he's saying that people are not, re- not ready for the return of Jesus. We must resist the spiritual sleep that faces us and be ready for his return at any moment. There's a number of passages in Scripture that, that remind us of this. Uh, Revelation 22:20 20 says, for example, surely I am coming soon. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So we're told to be alert. We're also told to persevere. So to persevere in prayer means to persist. It's the idea of a relentless pursuit. So why do we need to persevere in prayer? Well, because it's easy to become tired and discouraged. Life is hard. We don't always see immediate answers to our prayers. Would anybody out there raise your hand if, if you have always immediate answers to your prayers? Any, anybody have that in your spiritual life going on right now? Nobody? Oh, I was hoping to, to get with you and get some more insight here, right? It, it doesn't work like that, does it? It would be great if we pray and the next moment, boom, God answers, but it's not like that, at least not all the time. And so we need to persevere, press on, don't get discouraged, don't quit. Some of you may be struggling with keeping your mind on track during praying. One moment you're deeply praying for God to do something powerful in your life or the life of someone else. And the next moment you're wondering, did I push the start button on the dryer? I think all of us can relate to that in some way. There's always something competing with our prayers. We must persevere because of the cares and concerns of this world. We can get lulled to sleep spiritually. We can begin to coast in our prayer life and even become stagnant. So we persevere by, by not being lulled to sleep, by not losing sight of our eternal hope in the midst of this world that pulls us in all kinds of directions. Fourth, we must pray for all the saints. Again in verse 18, making supplication for who? For all the saints. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to pray for people who are like me, people that I don't have any problems with, people that I get along with really well. It's more difficult to pray for the people who are not like that. It's more easier to complain and grumble about them, about the people who think differently than we do, who act differently, who don't get along with us, who are like that holy sandpaper in our lives, always rubbing us the wrong way. But I wonder, what would it look like if we changed that? I mean, Paul here is not saying just pray for those you get along with, right? He's saying pray for everybody here, everyone in the church, What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if we prayed even for those people that are difficult, even those people that we don't maybe particularly like or uh, get along with well? What if we prayed for these things that we've just mentioned, that God will fulfill his good purposes in them, that God will bless them? Will you pray that God will magnify their efforts in their ministry? 
Will you pray that God will enable you to see them as a person to love rather than a painful project to solve? What would happen if you began praying that God would give you a different perspective on them, that he would use them in your life as instruments of his sanctification, that he would sanctify you, make you more like Jesus because of them? What would that change? What difference do you think it would make in our church if we prayed earnestly and persistently for those we disagreed with, for those in the church who hurt us, for those in the church we think look down on us, or ignore us. In fact, let's just do that right now. Let's close our eyes and pray together for this. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, at this particular moment, we want to come to you, acknowledging that it is so easy to only pray for certain people, only, pray for the, only praying for the people that we really want to pray for. Lord, let us not be like that. Let us pray for the difficult people. Lord, use them in our lives. Use them to refine us and make us more like you. Magnify your work in their lives, God. Bless their ministries. Bless their lives. Uh, enable and allow us to love them in, either, in even greater ways. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you do not let Satan come in and disrupt the unity that you have created. Let us stand together praying for one another to push back Satan. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, prayer for all the saints can include praying as well for people who aren't necessarily going through hard times. So yes, it does include praying for people in difficult seasons and difficult spots. We should pray for that. Uh, but we should also pray for people in prosperity. We should pray, pray yes for people in hard places, but also for people who aren't. Why? Because prosperity and good times can bring their own challenges. Our prayer for people in prosperity is that they don't take their eyes off Jesus and spiritually drift. So praying for all the saints is a community project. If prayer is the means by which believers put on the armor of God, if it's the means by which we put it into action, then we all must pray together for spiritual strength and preparation. So did you know that you have the responsibility to pray for your brothers and sisters so that they can attack, so that they can stand against the attacks of Satan? Well, back in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul has been praying that the body works together well. He's, he prays for unity, maturity, spiritual growth in the body. Listen to what he says in verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the building up of the body work? Well, part of this is each member using his or her spiritual gift to serve others. But the other part is we pray for each other. So I, as I've mentioned earlier, I, really, I believe that most of our praying is for people in difficulties. And I don't want to stop you from that. I want to encourage you in that. Keep doing that. But the praying that Paul has in mind does not limit us to this. No, we can pray that God will strengthen other believers, that he will help them fight off attacks of the evil one. And this kind of praying happens, yes, during the crisis, but also before it hits. It's part of how we become spiritually prepared. So what are some ways that you can do this? What are some ways in which you can pray for all the saints? Well, one would be to have specific times that you can actually schedule out to pray to make sure that it actually happens. So specific times. Another way might be to pray out loud. That could help keep your mind from wandering. 
Another way may be to pray a passage of Scripture and make it particular for your situation. Another way might be to write out your prayers, write them out. Another way might be to find a person that you can pray with on a regular basis. Another way may be to develop or use a list that works well for you. So you may have a list of uh, short-term prayers uh, and longer-term prayers. There's not a right or a wrong way, okay? So those are just suggestions right there. The point is we want to pray for all the saints. Fifth, we also want to pray for gospel boldness. So take a look at verses 19 and 20. Paul is praying there that God gives him words that he can have his mouth open boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He speaks about being an ambassador in chains. So what's he saying there? Now, we can get this idea that Paul is some kind of a spiritually elite person who never takes a prayer request for himself. He's like that person who comes up to you and says, I don't ever ask people to pray for me. I don't even pray for myself. I just always pray for other people. Well, that sounds very spiritual, but I think we're missing out on a lot if we do that. Paul here actually asks for prayer for himself. So it's not wrong to request prayer for yourself. Look at, let's take a look here and see why Paul requests prayer. Is it so his life can get easier? Is it so that he can be happier? What exactly is Paul asking for prayer for? Well, first, Paul asks that God would give words to him, that God would give words to him. Now, this may seem really strange. I mean, aren't we talking about the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, 13 letters in the New Testament? I mean, it seemed like the guy has a lot of words to say. How does he need any more words added to him? But that's not what Paul is saying. I mean, Paul's got plenty of content, right? He's got plenty to say. That's not what he's talking about. But he's praying that God would enable him to put his words together well so that he can express the gospel freely, boldly, and clearly. What a great prayer for any of us freely, boldly, and clearly to express the gospel. So Paul is not a superhuman. If you remember the context of Ephesians, he's in a prison cell as he's writing this. He's facing his impending death. Um, and, but his goal throughout his whole Christian life has been one thing, to take the gospel to the highest place, to the most important person in the world. And that would have been the emperor of Rome. And now that goal is right in front of Paul. He knows that it's coming up, that he will have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the most powerful world leader. And what is his prayer for? He wants to make the most of this opportunity. He's not going to the emperor to talk about chariot races or uh, shoot the breeze. He's not there to um, bargain for his life or to ask for an easier situation. He's there for one thing, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wonder how closely his focus would align with our focus. How many opportunities do we seek and see as an avenue to present Jesus to somebody? Would we even pray, would we even dare to pray that, that God would enable us to be bold and clear and free from people-pleasing in those opportunities? We mentioned earlier that Satan is a finite being. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So Satan himself likely would not tempt each person. His focus would be on those who are making a significant inroad into the kingdom of darkness. 
But I think it's pretty safe to assume that Satan himself would be going after Paul here. Satan does not want Paul to present the gospel to the most important leader of the world. Is that pretty safe to assume? I think it is. So he's going to attack, he's going to assault Paul in every possible way. So Paul knows that he's under intensive spiritual warfare and that he needs prayer from his brothers and sisters. He doesn't have it all on his own. He needs their prayers to be able to, be able to stand up under this attack. So our danger is always that we become self-sufficient, that we don't even see a need for prayer from other people, that we think, I'm fine, I can do this myself. But for any of us who want to, to proclaim the gospel to a world of darkness, we need God's help to do this freely, boldly, and clearly, and we need the prayers of other people as well. So he requests boldness to proclaim what? Yes, the gospel, but more specifically, the mystery of the gospel. Again, the situation is intense. His life is on the line. He's asking for gospel boldness. I wonder about us. If your life was on the line, if you knew that danger was right in front of you, what would you be praying for? Lord, get me out of this situation. Don't let me die. Deliver me. Or would you pray for gospel boldness? We should be encouraged by the fact that Paul is asking help for boldness. I mean, like us, Paul faced times of fear. He faced times of discouragement and disappointment and weariness. Paul, yes, he was known for his letters, for his writings, but he was not known for his speech. 2 Corinthians 10.10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Familiar with any of you? You ever feel that same way? Well, Paul did not come in his own strength and ability, but he proclaimed the news of Christ by depending on Jesus for that clear, bold, and effective proclamation of the gospel. Now, some of you may need to consider what bold means. So bold does not mean cocky and brash. Boldness is not insensitivity. I'm going to be blunt, and it doesn't matter how they take it. That's not what we're talking about. No, boldness is the confidence to speak into an intimidating situation. Now, others of us do need to pray for boldness. Maybe we're hesitant. Maybe we're reluctant to speak the gospel into intimidating circumstances or situations. We aren't looking for opportunities. We're acting like Moses. Who am I to speak? I don't have a gifted tongue. That's not my gift. God loves to answer this prayer for gospel boldness. Did you know that? That God loves to answer that prayer. If you pray, Lord, let me present, help me to present the gospel clearly, boldly, and effectively, and give me opportunities that God is going to give you so many opportunities, you're even not going to know what to do. So Paul's request is for the proclamation of the, of the mystery of the gospel. He's used this term mystery of the gospel a couple other times in Ephesians. And so by mystery, he's not referring to a secret ritual or practice uh, that gets you closer to God than other people are. No, by mystery, he's talking about God's secret plan for the salvation of humanity that God has revealed progressively over time. So God's secret plan has now been made fully known. It's that God was going to raise up a Savior who would have an eternal kingdom that Gentiles as well as Jews would be brought into His plan as equal heirs and the new people of God. The whole universe is being brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this mystery is Jesus Christ. Now, to know this mystery is not something you're naturally born with. It's not something you're taught in school. It's not something you can understand by studying hard. 
This mystery is due to the grace of God. That's how we understand it, by the grace of God. And in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul acknowledges that. I only understand this mystery by God's grace. It's not by my own efforts. So he's asking for God's help then in explaining how Jesus fulfills God's plan and stands at the very center of it. Now notice something interesting here in verse 20. Look at how Paul refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. So an ambassador at this time was somebody who was sent on behalf of the Roman uh, Senate or the ruling body or perhaps even from the emperor himself to represent them, to speak on their behalf. And so this person had the authority and the backing of the emperor. They didn't give their own message, but they, but they came with the, the plans, the message that they had been given, that they had been entrusted with. So Paul is saying that he, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, um, that, is, that is who he is an ambassador of. Even more important than being an ambassador of the emperor is to be an ambassador of God, the supreme emperor of the universe. What a privilege that is. But the irony here is that Paul identifies the fact that he's in chains. So he's an ambassador in chains. Now, this does refer to the literal chains that Paul is wearing, but it would have been unheard of for an ambassador at this time to be imprisoned. That would have not happened. That would have been the most shameful, despicable thing. Uh, you would never have an ambassador who was in prison. But how does Paul identify himself? An ambassador in chains. So this chain, yes, it's, it's literal in that he is in chains, but it's also symbolic. He is a slave of Jesus Christ, and he never wants to forget that. And he never wants his readers to forget that, that they too are slaves of Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure about you, but Paul's response to his imprisonment is far different than we would expect, probably far different from how I would have approached it. Here he is near the end of his life. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.17 is recounting um, his hearing with the emperor, and Paul says, nobody stood with me. They all deserted him, but he reminds himself, the Lord stood with me. The Lord enabled me to proclaim the gospel mystery with boldness and clarity. I don't know if I would be in very good spirits in prison. I don't think most of us would be too happy. I don't find that most people respond too well when they're in a hard time, when things aren't going well, when things aren't working out right. Many people in life become bitter and resentful. They become angry. They become filled with self-pity. They're angry about their circumstances. Notice here that Paul doesn't, pray for, doesn't ask for prayer to get out of prison. Did you notice that? He, he doesn't say, pray that I'll be released from prison. What? I mean, again, I don't know about you, but at the top of my prayer list, I would think I would put that. Lord, pray that I get out of prison here, but not Paul. So what do we learn from this? Paul's focus, Paul's agenda, his mission is that God is glorified. What would it look like if we prayed in this way too? So as we land the plane, I want to end in a similar way that I began. Prayer is not a job description. You've probably had some guilt or some shame in comparing how you pray to how Paul prays maybe or how wartime prayer should be. But prayer isn't meant to be some kind of long list of rules to follow and things to do. Prayer is the overflow of our relationship with God. It's responding to the Spirit in our lives to cry out to God, to praise Him, to confess our sin and to ask for him. I'm thankful today 
that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me. Hebrews 7.25, we see that Jesus is beside the throne, constantly, always interceding for us. So Christians, today, Jesus is praying for you. His prayers are covering your feeble prayers. His prayers are covering my feeble prayers. Jesus is praying for you even when you're not praying. So pray hard. Pray strong. Pray until you really pray. Pray the Bible and let your prayers be the outpouring of it in your life. But remember, Jesus is praying for you. Remember, Jesus is the one who is strong for you. Jesus is the one who gives you the strength that you need. And pray for each other that God will enable each one of us to stand when that evil day comes. Will you join me in praying that right now? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. We're thankful that you have given us all of the resources that we need to stand in the evil day. Thank you for the constant reminder through prayer that we are not strong enough to do this on our own. We are not. Lord, we will so quickly fall if we're trying to do this by our own strength. I pray today that each and every one of us can have that constant mindset of prayer, that constant attitude of prayer. I pray today that our prayers will be richer and broader, that we will pray for all the saints, that we will pray in every sort of way for them, and that we will pray led by the power of the Spirit. I pray today for gospel boldness. Lord, let our church be one filled with gospel boldness, that each person today can go out having the clarity, having the understanding, and having the boldness to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ to this fallen world. Thank you again, Lord. Empower us for your work. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able, would you stand as we respond to the word with a song that's very fitting that reminds us that we are singing to one another, exhorting each other to enter into the battle that is raging on, to look to Christ as our captain, but to also recognize that we cannot do this in our own strength, that we need the Spirit to give us strength and grace for every hurdle we face. So let us sing, O Church Arise. O Church Arise and put your armor on Hear the call of Christ our Captain for now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, and with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure.
see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. And as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the Amen. Let us say our benediction together from Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Please say it with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than to all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be dismissed.